Yeah, I'd just like to say on behalf of my wife Karen and me and uh, our family, some of whom are part of this church here today, for those of you who know, probably most of you did not know, but uh, thank you for all of your love and support and comfort in the passing of my dad this week. I really appreciate that. He went into hospital on Tuesday of this week for some abdominal pain, which they seem to be making progress in treating, and uh, had some difficulties on Wednesday afternoon and suffered an apparent heart attack. And uh, he was 85. And uh, while we were not expecting this to happen this week, you need to know that for the past two years, my dad has talked of practically nothing else than he is ready to go home and be with Jesus. Some of you, some of you knew him. Some of you who have been around with us a while. Uh, he actually preached here one time, preached among us. And Karen and I went up on Thursday and spent the night with my mom and other family members, and uh, we're back here doing what we're called to do today, because that's what my dad would have expected me to do, <laughs> and uh, it's just interesting to me that I selected these various songs for worship, and it was my turn to worship this week, I lead worship, uh, I selected these songs on Wednesday morning about going through the valley of the shadow of death and you give and take away and all these things, my heart was stirred and uh, he passed away Wednesday afternoon. So isn't it just cool how God works stuff together, right? Yeah. So it's going to be my honor to lead the memorial service for my dad next Saturday at the United Methodist Church in Clara, Michigan. I do not expect any of you to come, please, but uh, if was, my dad left some fairly specific instructions about what to do next, and one of the instructions was for me to lead the service, and so I shall. And so pray for me and others, of course. The coolest part of it for me personally was that on Wednesday morning, I called my dad in the hospital, and you gotta know something about me and my dad in telephones, we both equally hate them. And <laughs> So we don't talk on the phone very often. I'll call my mom. I'll call up there all the time. And maybe one in ten times that I call up do I actually talk to my dad on the phone. I always say something like, hey, give dad a hug for me. Tell him I love him or something like that. But it's very rare for us to talk on the phone because we just don't like to do it. And so I just called him Wednesday morning in the hospital. And, and uh, we just had... For no reason, one of the best talks of our lives. It was amazing. He was, we were just in certain places where we just really were able to share with each other, and we prayed with each other on the phone, and told each other that we loved each other, and one of the last things he said to me was, he said, Tom, and he told me this before, but he said, Tom, he said, you know, I'm tired of living, but I'm not afraid of dying. And seven hours after I hung up the phone, he got, met his heart's desire, he met Jesus. So that's, uh, that's the cool part of it. So thank you for your loving concern, and um, please keep us in your prayers. 
throughout this week, and my mom in particular, she's doing really well, but uh, keep her in your prayers, and um, I uh, don't expect to be here with you next Sunday morning, since the memorial service is at four o'clock in the afternoon. <clears throat> a younger version of myself would have found a way to do that, but <laughs> six-hour drive and all those things, but... I do, and at this point, at least, I do expect to be back to teach the prayer ministry training seminar that we promised you at 5 o'clock that night. So just in case you're wondering, unless you hear otherwise, that's, that's on. Okay? Say Jesus. Jesus. That's good. Now say Jesus. Jesus. All together, Peter. My hand goes like goes up. You say Jesus. Ready? Jesus. Jesus. Now, Peter, this is going to work. You've got to watch my hand real close, all right? Okay, it's just like I'm casting a, a rod over here, okay? Just watch it. When I start to cast, you say G, okay? Okay. Ready? Jesus. Got it. Okay. Are you ready? He is the image of the invisible God, Jesus. the firstborn over all creation. Jesus. For by him all things were created, Jesus. things in heaven and things on earth, Jesus. things visible and things invisible, Jesus. whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, Jesus. all things were created by him and for him. Jesus. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Jesus. And he is the head of the body, the church. Jesus. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Jesus so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Jesus. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus. and through him to reconcile to himself all things, Jesus. whether things on earth or things in heaven, Jesus. by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus! Jesus. That, beloved, is Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. It tells us who Jesus is. Make no mistake. Today I'd like to begin a series of messages of teachings from the book of Colossians. It's in your New Testament. If you'd like to turn there and follow along. If not, you can listen. I felt a stirring from the Lord for some time now to bring some set of teachings from the book of Colossians. I kind of thought it was going to be one of those Sunday night Bible classes that I've been doing, but I feel like the Lord says He wants me to bring that freight to the whole church. So we're planning six weeks, Pastor Tony and I. Tony will actually bring one of the messages from one of the passages next week in my absence, and I have every confidence that you will be at least equally blessed by what Tony brings from his perspective. <laughs> and uh, he is, after all, a freshly minted, ordained pastor, and it is first sermon wearing the ephod underneath, so it's not true. I, uh, I do not have a catchy name for this series. The best I could come up to was those colossal Colossians, but I didn't really like it. I, I also do not have a PowerPoint or an outline for you this morning, and I think you could probably understand that my week didn't go exactly according to my plan. Colossians is a book about Jesus Christ. 
It's about his supremacy. It's about his divinity. It's about his power. It's about his blood. It's about the friendship that he offers to you. It's about him being the bridge between us and God. It's about Jesus. Colossians is a book about Jesus Christ. You'll do well to spend a lot of time there. Colossians. Let me give you a little context, a little background information. Colossae was a small, non-strategic city in Asia Minor at the time of this writing. All of that area was then called Asia. It's now what we know of as Turkey. And uh, the Colossae, Colossae was, uh, was a, a city, a rather unimportant city in many ways, uh, commercially and as a military place. It was uh, just not really very important. But... Uh, the book called Colossians that I'll be speaking from was written by the Apostle Paul who, lived, who, who wrote to young believers who lived in that city. Uh, Colossae was uh, a city Paul never personally visited. If you look in your Bible in Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. So it wasn't one of those places like Philippi, where Paul had been and planted the church, but it was a relationship that he had uh, by extension. And uh, if you look at the, at the map in the back of many of your Bibles of the missionary journeys of Paul, you'll see that he circled Colossae many times, three times actually, but never actually went there. Uh, this book, Colossians, was also not written by Paul's own hand, but that was really common in the day that as a rabbi began to kind of develop their ministry, and they had disciples, followers who were trying to learn from them. They would have certain of their disciples, their students, be the scribe. And, and so that way the rabbi could just speak rather freely, and sometimes two or three at a time would be writing down to try to keep it all, keep it all down. But, um, you know, they didn't enjoy the luxury that we have of word processing. Isn't that just amazing how we've just gotten so good I've gotten so good with these two fingers that, I mean, I can just fly. I wrote a whole doctoral dissertation with those uh, four fingers, and I can just fly, and many of you can. Many of you actually know how to do it. It amazes me in our staff when I'll walk into one of them, Tiffany or Karen or Amanda or anybody. I'm talking, I'm talking, I start talking to them, and they're looking at me, and they're going, yeah, mm-hmm. First, it amazes me that you women can multitask that way and pay full attention to me while you're writing down the prayer request or whatever. But that you don't have to look at your fingers while you go. But so we have this great advantage today of this um, technology where we can get a stream of consciousness going, can't we? And we can just we can we can put it down almost as fast as we can think it. it wasn't that way, and so it was very common for Paul to have been in this practice of dictating what he had to say to somebody else, and they're they're writing it down, they're getting it down as best they can. Um, you will look at the last verse of Colossians, though, and you'll see that um, he authenticates it by actually writing the final verse of it. Uh, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Hold on to that word. He says, grace be with you. That is, uh, you need to take note of that. But um, he writes that last verse in his own hand so that he would authenticate it, the document itself as, you know, having come from him. Um, so the church in Colossae was not, as I said, planted by Paul himself, but was planted by a disciple or a student, however you like to say that, of Paul's named Epaphras. And a fairly common name, Epaphras, I guess, in the day, I understand, and was sometimes a shortened version for Epaphroditus. And if you look up, up 
stairs probably in your Bible there, you'll see in the book before it, Philippians, that there's an Epaphroditus who was very active in the church and leadership in the church in Philippi. And so there's no real credible evidence to know if that Epaphroditus in Philippi was the same Epaphras in Colossians, could be, but it uh, doesn't really make any difference because, you know, God does what God does. And God brought people around Paul, men and women, that he, uh, he trained and he authorized to go out and deliver the gospel to others. And so that's what's happening. Um, the letter does have some practical instruction, but it's really overbalanced toward theology and toward the revelation of who Jesus is. You know, I know how we are. We, we're, we want the Bible to speak directly into my day, right? I get that. We want it to be very practical. We want it to be, uh, just speak into the realities of our everyday. And I get that. And so much of it does. And we, we like to focus on that. But in reality, we also have to spend plenty of time on the other side of the coin of the Bible saying it's revelation of who God is. Because as you study this thing called theology or doctrine and increase in your awareness of who God is, your understanding of who God is, it will not only increase your ability to live the practical aspects of your life out in a faithful way, but it will remind you why you're doing it. I mean, come on, don't you just wonder, every why am I doing this again? This is hard. Why am I doing this? Why can't I just be like my pagan friends, huh? You know, why... Well, knowing who Jesus is, knowing who God is, and spending time and embracing the reality of who God is as revealed to us in the Bible always answers that question. Oh, that's why I'm doing this. That's worth it. That's definitely worth it. Okay? So I'm just telling you up front that Colossians is one of those books, similar to Romans, that has some practical instruction. Thank goodness it's not as long as Romans. We'd never get through it. But... but. Uh, but, it, you know, it's really overbalanced in the way of the revelation of Jesus and his nature, his ministry, his character, okay? Um, it's also very important to know before you start interpreting Colossians for yourself that the city of Colossae was known for its religious fanaticism, that the people who lived there were religious fanatics. It was part of the culture. It was kind of the buckle of the Bible belt, you know, in our way of thinking about it. It was the, kind of the epicenter of religious fanaticism. The Jews had been there six or seven hundred years. About the sixth century B.C., uh, the law came to came to Colossae, and so there'd been a Hebrew culture in that in that city for a long time, and uh, it really got entrenched as uh, the Pharisaical versions of that. You know, that you better get it right, and you better get all of it right. You know, you better. It's the legalistic aspect of it was really entrenched in the city of Colossae. Now add to that that it was also the epicenter of all kinds of other religions that were coming in. So there was, if you lived in Colossae, you were, you were being competed for by a variety of religious groups, cults, weird stuff. And so if you lived in Colossae, it was almost guaranteed that somehow you were spending a lot of your time and resource wearing yourself out trying to get God's approval. Okay, Very important that you realize that when you're going to interpret what it is that Paul was saying. Okay, which is going to make sense in just, just a couple of minutes here. The whole letter itself seems to revolve around what verses, chapter 1, verse 15 through 20, that, that thing we announced, that he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The whole thing seems to center around that, that package there, those verses. 
there's credible evidence to say that those verses that we read, and you said, Jesus, Jesus, those verses that I read for you were part of a worship song that was sung by the early church. And that makes sense, doesn't it? It just talks about who he is, who he is, who he is. And, and, and there are some who would say that that's what that passage was. They were actually, it was a two stanza hymn, they called it, to, to the nature of Jesus. That makes a lot of sense. I, I just wish uh, there were some way we could know how the tune went for them. You know? Wouldn't that just be awesome to be able to sing not only the words of a first century church, of course we'd have to learn Greek, but um, the words of the first century church, but also to be able to sing it with the same musical commitment and musical heart that they had for it. That would, that would be pretty cool. But in any case, as you read through the book of Colossians, you'll find that pretty much everything else you find throughout the book has a dotted line back to those verses. So whatever you read, it's because of who Jesus is. It's because he's the image of the invisible God, because he reconciled the world through his death on the cross. It's because of that. Okay? Well, today I would like for us just to look briefly, really, at uh, chapter 1, and we'll go back to the beginning. I'll read that for you, the first 14 verses, make some comments, and we'll go home, okay? Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace. Hold on to that. You understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras. Well, there he is. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our, our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Thank you, Lord. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then he goes, he is the image of the invisible God. He just breaks out into the psalm. That's pretty cool, isn't it? There's so much there. To get hold of what it is that is happening in that verse, you have to focus on the scandalous statement that Paul made in verse 2. The scandalous thing that Paul said in verse 2. When he said, grace and peace to you from God our Father. 
That sounds so like, oh, wait, 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 I've heard that before. He says it in all his letters, doesn't he? It's so, you know, it's just kind of his perfunctory greeting. By the way, you can always tell when I haven't had enough time to develop the message because words like perfunctory come out. <laughs> One of the last things that I do when I, I scour my notes for words like perfunctory and change them to something like meaninglessly routine. Sorry. You've heard that before. Grace and peace, he said to the Galatians. Grace and peace to you from God our Father to the Philippians. Grace and peace to you, he said, the Ephesians. You hear him say that all the time. You say, isn't that, it's just, you just get sort of used to it, don't you? You see, well, I understand why it was such a scandalous thing to say. You have to take yourself back in time, the time that he said it. Because it would have been a common thing for a rabbi to begin his letter or his teaching, peace, shalom, peace, peace. That would have been common. That would have been expected. But you have to understand something about what the rabbi meant when he said that. To say shalom in that way meant that there is a peace available to you if you can be diligent in obeying all of the 613 Levitical laws. That if you can pull that off, you can have peace with God. And so when a rabbi would say peace to you, he would be saying, presenting this position. I, the rabbi, who follows all 613 Levitical laws, extend you peace that I have found in being so obedient. Now, in reality, we know that that's not true because it's not possible. But that was the religious pretense of the day. So the rabbis, who were held in obviously very high esteem, would say peace, peace. And with it came the announcement that I have this peace because of my obedience. And if you would receive the peace of this rabbi, you would be signing up for the same thing. You would be saying, I received that peace, and I am about the same thing. I want to follow you so that you can teach me how to obey all 613 Levitical laws. And so it was a peace that had conditions attached to it, wasn't it? It wasn't peace. It wasn't, Jeff, I just want you to have the peace of God, man. It wasn't just, I want you to stop struggling, man. I want you to know that God loves you, the Father loves you. Receive his peace. It wasn't that at all. It was a legalistic peace. And so when Paul preempted the greeting with the word grace, and he says grace and peace from God our Father, he was saying a whole other thing. Who could extend grace? Only God can extend grace. No, Paul could extend grace because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, who satisfied all 613 Levitical laws for us, who makes up for my sin, who makes up for my shortcoming, who makes up for my willful disobedience. Jesus makes up for that. And that's grace. Grace, unmerited favor. Didn't even have to work at it. He just wanted to give it to you. That's incredible center of the gospel. That's the incredible message of the gospel of Jesus. And so Paul was saying something very scandalous when he said this. He said it this way in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we've been justified through faith, so justified means we're made right with God. You know, our sin makes us wrong with God, right? Breaks a relationship. Something's got to be done. The Bible says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, 
that as you release your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, as you authentically say, Jesus Christ, I want you to come and be my Savior. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to live in me. I want you to rule in me. I'm serious about this. I'm sure I will not do it perfectly, but I want you to come and I want you to do what you need to do in me. And I release my faith in what you've done for me because I can't do this on my own. That's what he meant when he said, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the peace comes not by being faithful to all the laws, but the peace comes by having faith in the one who was faithful. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So we're standing, what, on our own obedience? Here I am, look at me. We're standing in the grace that has been offered to us through Jesus. And this was such a scandalous thing to say, especially to these Colossians, because Paul was effectively in saying grace and peace to you, and then he just expands on it throughout the letter. He was effectively saying, all of your religious zealotry has been for nothing. All of, in fact, he said in Philippians that he counted all of his rubbish. He counted all of his religious accomplishments. The Greek word, as some of you remember, is skubalon, which means a stinking, steaming pile of dog <laughs> poop. That's what skubalon means. And Paul says, all of my religious accomplishments, a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a rabbi, he says, I count that all to be something you don't even want to step in accidentally. Compared, he says, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. And so that's what Paul's saying, and he's telling them, all this work you've done for all these years, he opens this wonderful letter with grace and peace to you from God our Father. And this is the essence of Colossians. If you look at verse 5 of our text, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. It's, you're not working at it. It's stored up for you in heaven and that you've already heard about. You flip over the page, you look at verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of the kingdom of light. They're spending, they're wearing themselves out trying to qualify themselves, aren't they? And he says, you know, I don't know why you're doing that because Jesus has qualified you if you will just put your faith in him. Okay. And he says, for he has rescued us, past tense, it's already done, from the divinity of darkness. You're not going to hell after this if you know Christ. You don't need to fear that. You've already been rescued. Is your faith in Christ? You're, then you're rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, brought us, past tense, in whom we have, present tense, redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Have and not had. Not like, yeah, I prayed that once and all those were covered, but what about now? This is a use of the verb that is a perpetual thing. If you are in relationship with Jesus Christ, here's the scandalous part, the sins that you commit tomorrow are already covered. Say, that ain't right. That ain't right. <laughs> Take it up with God. That is the preaching of the gospel. That's the teaching of the gospel. That's the teaching of the Bible that your sins yesterday, today, tomorrow, and you'll have them are covered. It's all about grace. It's all about grace. 
Paul said in Ephesians, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by your works, lest any man should boast. Okay. Being a Christian is not about what you can do for God. It's about what he already did for us. It's about Jesus alone. It's about a relationship with him, not a religion about him. Paul spends a lot of his time in the New Testament trying to correct that error. People, they got off to a good start, he says to the Galatians. He got off with such liberty and such assurance. He said, but who cut in on you, he said, and took away this thing? Who cut in on you and made it about rules? Who did that? Paul says it's all about grace. You know the sin? You remember last week when you promised God you'd never do that and you've done it four times this week? Covered. Covered. I know. It's scandalous, isn't it? That ain't right, Tom. Are you sure? Just bringing you what it says. It's about Jesus alone, not Jesus and your self improvement program. I want you to get better. I want you to get free. I do. It's good being free from some of the stuff that used to rule me. It's good. But I'm not more saved now because I don't smoke weed now than I, than I was before, okay? I'm not more saved. I'm as saved as I was the day I accepted Christ as Savior and went out and smoked a joint in my truck. All right? Now, I do not recommend smoking weed, just so we can go on record here. Eleven of you are already calling the Baptist church, see if they have room for you. I'm sure they do. I'm just saying... Our salvation is built on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I'm glad that I'm free from some of the things that used to rule me. And so will you be when you're free. But it starts by getting saved. It starts by coming into relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Not by trying to improve yourself to present yourself to God. That's how that all goes back to that hymn, that song. You said everything goes back to that. How does this you're talking about go back to that? It's because that hymn talks about Jesus being God. And only God could give you the grace that he's offering you. No man could ever do that for you. He had, Jesus had to be God. I mean, theoretically, in your mind, maybe you'd say, what if somebody, what if somebody somehow could live a perfect life? What if they just pulled it off? Okay, I, I don't think it's possible, but I'll give you this for the sake of argument. What if somebody did? And maybe if that person could do that, they could present themselves to God on the basis of their own merits and say, here I am, I have lived a perfect life for, for you, and I recommend myself into your eternity. But you know what that person couldn't do? They couldn't recommend me. They couldn't recommend you because we're not perfect, obviously, right? Only Jesus Christ can recommend us into the company of the Father, the Holy Father, through the shed blood that He shed on the cross. Only Jesus can do that. And so He had to be God to do that because no man, no matter how wise or good, could ever do that for me. And it's clear to me that I haven't lived a perfect life. It's already blemished. It's already tarnished. But the Bible says in Ephesians that we are His church and that we are presented to the Father, catch this, spotless and without blemish. Yeah, that's for you. Okay. So let's do this. Let's just finish this up. 
with a little time before the Lord and putting ourselves under the blood of Christ. Because listen, you've heard about the blood. You can never talk too much about the blood of Christ and this blood that was shed for you. Because it's this blood that Jesus shed for you on the cross once. He's not still dying. He's done. Finished work. But he shed it once. It's his blood that still speaks. It's his blood that still speaks for your sin. And so what I want to ask you to do today is, as we just take a few minutes to just sing back to the Lord and let him stir in our hearts, I want to ask you to please... Would you bring your sin to the blood of Christ? Could you just bring whatever your sin is, the broken promises, the addictive behavior, whatever it is that's ruling you, whatever it is that's on your mind in a heavy way today that says, look at me. Whatever the devil's accusing you of, let's wash that in the blood. Let's put that under the blood of Jesus. Send it back to the enemy and his accusations with the blood on it. See what happens. So what I want to do is just want to take some time to sing one, maybe two songs about the blood and invite the Lord to work on you, in you, in us, okay? And it would be good if at some point some of you who are prayer ministry people who have been through our prayer ministry training and are willing to pray for people could go along the sides over there and just be ready to pray for people because there may be people here today who wants prayer for something specific. And maybe it's got nothing to do with anything I've talked about, but they just came going, man, if somebody would pray for me about, if you come up to those people, they'll pray for you. And also, it could be that as we're singing this song about the blood, that some of you, it just clicks. It finally clicks, and you go, oh, that's how. And you're ready to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You say, how do I do that? I want to encourage you just to come up to one of these people who will be up here and just say, I'm ready. And they will help you pray to receive Christ as Savior. They will send you home with a Bible and get you started. But the reality is I would just really like it if we could just take some time. If we could just take some time uh, to, to put ourselves under the blood. I'm going to just play the Savior.